You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hello, buttheads! It's non-existent magazine's sexiest man alive, Drew Gasparini here, with another episode of Now We're Talking, the podcast that prevents forest fires. I'm thrilled that you're all tuning in for this episode because this was easily one of my favorites to record. Our guest today is a master at being a theater kid. He's a Tony-nominated actor known for starring on Broadway in shows like Chaplin, Something Rotten, Avenue Q, Beetlejuice, Mrs. Doubtfire, just to name a you. I've always admired today's guest, and I'm so excited he took the time from being a nonstop performer, husband, and father to talk to my adorable ass. Ladies and gentlemen, a legend is in the house. Now we're talking with Rob McClure. I just got off the phone with my uh, accountant, and nothing gives me stress-induced <laughs> diarrhea the way that those conversations do. <laughs> yeah, they also make me realize how much I should have studied math at some point like why aren't they just teaching taxes why is that like not just kindergarten start young get it really in there yeah uh but no i love i saw that thing on uh instagram the other day it said uh, like public education is like learn how to do your taxes no learn how to square dance yes absolutely (laughs) i can do a do-si-do Uh, no, but I really am grateful that you're taking the time. Uh, you have a you have a child, and we're working this conversation around this child's bedtime. She's and the sleeping. Minute, yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing. But the minute you texted me that, I was like, oh, he's a real live person. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, the people who the people who are listening won't be able to see this, but you can. So right behind my very professional looking place where I'm wearing headphones is a is a bouncy castle. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, that is so legit. And that's not even for your child. That's for you. That's the adult. Yeah, yeah once, that's the adult. Once she one. goes, once she goes to bed, I get I get all the nerves out. That actually brings me to a really good question that I sincerely have written here. Yes. Do you own a bouncy castle? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, it. No. And the okay, answer yeah, is yeah, yes. Okay, yeah, moving on. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I really wanted to know. I don't know why I feel like your brain might have been like this when you were a kid. But when oh. I was a kid, I had this fantasy of having like a tower. You ever like dream of what your dream house is going to be when you're yes. a kid? I used to draw pictures of this shit. And it was like a tower. And inside the tower was a perfectly fitted a gigantic trampoline. So like all that could fit in this tower was a trampoline and I could just jump up and down and the walls were padded or whatever. And I would just have like a big silo jump fest. Did you have anything like that growing up fantasies of what silly thing you could have as an adult? Yes. Besides, I, besides a bouncy castle. I, 
for for me, I was always writing uh, movies that I never filmed because we didn't own a video camera. So for me, it was like one day I'm going to record this movie. But until <laughs> then, I'm going to make all my friends go with me in the woods and we're going to act out this vampire movie to rehearse for the day we get a camera. <laughs> that is so amazing. Oh my God. I love that. That there's nothing creepier than just saying, follow me friends into the woods. Yeah, into Don't the worry. Woods, into the woods. I'm going to be a vampire. You guys just pretend along with me. And one day we're going to film this. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Uh, Rob McClure, you are a staple. You're a fixture oh, in, man. The, in the Broadway community. Oh, we're coming right out with the compliments. By the way, did, I, out of everybody I, I have done this show with, do you approve of Come the on. insanity behind listen, me? Listen, it's about the memories. The posters are about the memories. It's 100%. Not, it's not about the resume. It's about the people the posters make you think of. That is right. And these posters are just the uh, the memories of all the community theater I did as a child. I'm in my parents' garage but right I'm now. You, community theater, like, come on. The community theater you did as a child shaped, uh, shaped the Gasparini legacy, man. Well, let's start right there with you, Rob. I, I've seen interviews with you, and I've heard you talk about, like, the experience of being young and being transfixed and, like, totally just, like, transported somewhere yeah. when you first saw live theater. Talk to me about what got you to the career that you have now. I really want to know the journey, the whole childhood. Yeah. I mean, I was always a goofball and I, and I feel like, uh, being funny was my way of not getting beaten up. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Like I, being funny was my way to get along with everybody. Yeah. If you um, can be pals with the goons, it's yeah. like Don Rickles. Don Rickles was Frank Sinatra's funny guy. So he never yeah. got shot by the mob, that, that, you know? That's exactly it. Yeah. I would kick your ass if you didn't do such a good Roger Rabbit impression. <laughs> like that's, like, like that's, that's, that's how, basically how I got by. Um, and then uh, I, I started doing the high school plays just because they were fun. Um, and then somebody said to me, there's a little community theater that's doing a play about a guy who kills people and puts them in meat pies. And I was 15. And I think I was also looking for the musical that, again, I hate to be this insecure, but I was, that wouldn't get me beaten up for liking. Did you get beat up a lot as a Never, kid? Never, but, okay. like but I was like 108 pounds soaking wet and five foot nothing. Uh, 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 and I think I, I, I think I hit puberty like the summer of my junior year, like of I, college. I was just a, I, exactly, <laughs> it was a, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I was just a little kid, you know. I was little, yeah. And um, so, so being like, I'm little and I love Les Mis wasn't great, you know. Yeah, for, for, sure, um, sure. But now I heard there's a play about a guy who kills people and makes other people eat them. That sounded like. How could you, how could that be silly? Yes. Um, and, and I, right, singing about it. Um, but I went and I saw Sweeney Todd at this little community theater in New Jersey. And that was when it stopped being a hobby for me. Yeah. When, I, when I saw the end of that show and I had been drastically manipulated in an Alfred Hitchcock surprise ending, yes. M. Night Shyamalan ending, yes. that I was like, I didn't know a play could do that to me. Yes. And, to, and tomorrow there's going to be a hundred people here who don't know that ending is coming. I have to be there. Yeah. And I, I saw every performance of that for every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They got me a cast jacket for a wow. show I wasn't in. 
Wow. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, wow. I was, I was 15 and a super Sweeney Todd nerd. Um, yeah. But that's, that's when I knew like, okay, I don't know where I belong in this equation, but I have to be around where this is happening. Okay. Uh, and I remember that little community theater was in a, they had turned an old abandoned firehouse into a community theater. Oh, that's and, awesome. And my experience of seeing plays was the Jim Cafetoriums. You know what uh-huh. I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. So that community theater was a professional theater to me because it was a building that sole purpose was putting on plays. I couldn't believe right. that there was a building that didn't share function. Right. Like, it's oh, literally like a church, you know? Yes. 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 <laughs> the, wait, the only thing you guys do in here are plays? Like yeah. that's it? Yeah. Um, and just being like, well, then I'm moving in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And I did. I did. I basically, I, I joined that community theater. And I remember the first thing they had me do was run sound effects for the play after it, which was Arsenic and Old Lace. And I, oh, wow. I, I, I sat in the attic at like 15 years old, changing reel to reel sound effects for like phone calls. Oh and my just, God. And just feeling like Gandalf doing, doing magic, you know, hundred percent. was just the coolest thing. So there's like kind of you, you, your hand wanted to be in all the pies, right? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. you were so fascinated just by how the whole world functioned. It and sounds I, like it's the illusion, and and I'm still that way. I'm still that way. Like if I'm just as fascinated by the person standing on zero and hitting the high note as yeah. I am by the gobo in the lighting fixture that's convincing you there's a window in front of them. I just got like chills up my back because I just started looking at like the last few things you've done on Broadway and how all of those roles truly encompass the the magic and the whimsy and you must have a really close connection with the effects guys and the set guys and the costume people with roles like Doubtfire and uh and Beetlejuice yeah. and and Chaplin for Christ's sake. I mean that that just really you you paved the way without realizing you were paving the way by getting involved so young the way you were. Totally. And and it's, cool. it's the collaborative nature of it that is the thing that I was smitten with, you know, like mm-hmm. the um and uh and that that is it, you know, and when I started learning about guys like Chaplin and guys like Robin Williams, these were people who were not born being able to do the insane things they ended up being able to do. They were guys who usually said yes before they knew whether or not they could pull off the thing they had just right. said yes to and right. then figured it out. Like Chaplin, uh, there's a great story about Chaplin in the, the movie The Circus where he um, he got the idea for a tightrope bit and had his crew start building a circus tent with a tightrope rig before he knew how to walk a tightrope. Oh my God. It was like he he had the idea and went like, okay, you go build me a circus. And in the meantime, I'll tie a rope between these two trees on the lot and figure it out. I love the method of learn by doing, but like when it it. comes to like, you know, balancing on a fucking tightrope, that's, that's maybe where I would draw that line a little bit. Oh my God. But it is the thing where it's like Chaplin and guys like that or make me realize and continue to inspire me in that way that like the distance between the people who can do the thing and the people who can't is just the amount of time you're willing to spend on it. That's literally uh, that no one is born 
with instincts on how to walk a tightrope. You either practice till you can do it or you don't. Hundred um, percent. And and I I've been such a huge fan of those type of people uh, that it's that I'd like to think it's rubbed off. In and and in doing those things for twenty years, you start to build a reputation as the person who will figure it out. So yeah. you get you get hired not on your abilities anymore, but on the faith in your abilities. You yes. Know what I mean? like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, like that guy Have will you, figure it out. Have you ever, I'm sorry, I don't want to paint you as like some sort of circus person, but no, no. I feel like I'm just going to toss a few things out. You just say, yes, I can do that. Or no, I cannot do that. <laughs> How long have I got with each one? No, only kidding. Uh, uh, yeah. Juggling. Yes. Yes. Can you ride a unicycle? Yes. And puppetry, obviously, you did Avenue Q for 35 years, yes. I think. was, <laughs> Rough, was roughly, roughly. Roughly 35 years. years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, when I saw Beetlejuice and, and my husband, Alex Brightman, was the man himself. So I, yeah. I, I came by and I saw that show a few times. I I was – I've never really seen magic like that in a musical. Like yeah. the, I've never seen someone like pop out of a stage. You know what I mean? Like I've yes. seen someone like slowly <laughs> kind of yeah. – But there was a lot of – and the fucking worm and, and yes. all of that <laughs> – Was that just like a playground for you? It's truly like it's everything the kid in the woods with the vampire movie wanted to happen in his life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's also – I love Tim – Alex Timbers, our director, because he recognized that if you're going to do a stage adaptation of Tim Burton, Tim Burton is all about the tangible. He's all about uh, uh, like uh, that, that sandworm is stop motion. And not a cartoon because I want you to feel like you can touch it. That's right. In the movie, and, it's stop motion. Yes. Yeah. So, so there's no there's no world in which Alex Timbers thought Beetlejuice LED wall. Like, right. We're, we're not going to do that for oh, Beetlejuice. Thank you, God. Yes, you have to be able to touch it. These need yeah. to be practiced. If there's fireballs, he's got to shoot fireballs out of his hands. If there's 100%. if they're flying, they have to fly. If they, you know, and, and uh, that's why I love that he incorporated so much puppetry and uh, and like practical old school magic. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any uh, major in- injuries? I imagine that death scene is like <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> scary. Day that, the day that they taught us – so unlike in, unlike the film where they drive off that uh, covered bridge to die, yes. the, Ma- the Maitlands, uh, we fall through the floor of the living room that they buy this new house and it's uh, – well, a very old house. And they there's a creek in the floor that they keep putting off fixing and eventually they fall through it and die. And we had this incredible stunt coordinator and clown named Lorenzo Pizzoni who basically helped design design this trick. Um, and the, the real sort of, uh, crazy thing that messes with your brain is that you have a rug over this hole and we walk on that rug over yes. and over and over and over and over. Yes. And then a little cue light in the wing turns green, which means, Hey, if you step on that rug, you've stepped on 40 times, you fall into the basement. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh my God. And, and, and there's a, there's probably a six foot by two and a half foot rectangle. You need to hit through that rug without being oh able to God. see it, that we take off of the pattern on the rug. Uh, and if you miss it, you could slam your face into the t- stage. So don't do that. <laughs> oh my God. How many, t- how many, t- how many missteps were there in the working this out? Well, it, basically like, they remove the rug and they and they would lower the trap door so that our jump was two feet with oh us God. with us looking right at it. And yeah, then they okay. go to three feet, and then they'd go to four feet, and then they would put a crash pad, and then we'd go to five feet, and then we'd go to six feet, and then we'd go to eight and a half feet, and then we'd go to nine feet, which is oh the the trap. Um, 
and so we would we would jump into this hole over and over and eventually and and I I love that stuff but Carrie Butler yeah. is going like wait what I didn't play vampires in the woods and I don't want to <laughs> jump in <laughs> you know um so um so, so we jump into this hole over and over and over and eventually we go like okay we feel good about it and that now we're going to cover it up and you have to jump onto something that looks totally stable, and then you're going to fall the nine feet. And that's the the part that screwed with your head the most. But luckily, oh knock on wood, neither of us ever got hurt. That's the you know what? That's exactly like uh, Chaplin building the tightrope. I mean, like yeah. that's just it's just like we're just going to figure it out. That's you, you like have, it's there. Have, here we go. Yeah, it's reverse engineering, right? You have the idea first, and then you yeah. figure out how to do it. Oh wow, that is so cool. I love hearing behind the scenes shit. Like oh, I that. love me too. Um, do me a favor. Tell me about like what your parents did when they had the understanding that you're insane like the rest of us and you wanted to, <laughs> you wanted to jump into this business. Yeah. My parents are, uh, were and are some of the most practical people that I know. So, so, um, while they, they like the rest of the world were fearful of it being a tough road. Mm-hmm. Their view on it was like, okay, um, but if you can't pay your bills, you'll figure out how to do that, right? Like, you know that if you choose to do this, you also have to simultaneously be a grown up, right? Like, right, right. So, so if if this doesn't pay your bills, we trust that you'll figure out how to do that because, well, you know, we. We were not in a position where they were like, "Here's a bunch of money, go make it in New York." We were not in that position. Right. That's that's only every other person on Broadway. Yes, but yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it was not. I, I was when I was 15 years old. I, I I baked bagels at a bagel store in my hometown at four o'clock in the morning before high school to save oh money my for school. God, wow. Yeah. Um. So it was n- by no means a sort of like, go after your dream. We got your back. They, right. They would have my back in every possible way if they, you know, hit, hit the lottery. But right. we were not. But we weren't in that position. So they, very much like they treat their own lives, are just like you have to figure out how to get by. So sure. you, you, you dream your dream, but also pay your bills. Yeah, um, I mean that's not discouraging at all. That's still very no. like go do you. I mean, yeah. pursue the dream if you can make it work. But when think, it, if yeah. it doesn't, we're not going to take care of that. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. on you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like whatever the hell you want to do to make yourself happy, do it. But yeah. I guarantee you part of that happiness is going to be being, being able to pay your bills. So so have an eye on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that I think has also given me like this sense of I, I so appreciate them for that because what I think it's also given me is no sense that uh, scrambling to get by, being a scrappy theater person to pay your bills in between jobs or figuring out how to make ends meet is not. I see so many people who think that t- having to take a break or take a detour on your dream to to pay bills is a version of failure. No, I and feel was, like the whole industry had to do that this last year anyway. So. True story. Yes. True story. But there are so many people who like, I don't know, there's something about Broadway or bust. And right. it's like, this is so much more complicated than that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 100%. No, you're yeah. right. I mean, like, and your parents look at you now 
And you've had a string of Broadway shows, and and I would certainly uh, chalk them up as successes, and yeah. a Tony nomination, and like not just that. You look at the buzz Beetlejuice got, and the buzz that Mrs. Doubtfire before it even got to where it was supposed to get. The, the talk that's going on. This is all centered around you. On top of that, you got a kid. You got a wife. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of structure to the man that you are. I think that has a lot yeah. to do with with that type of upbringing. So For sure. props to your parents. Oh, thanks. And I, I I agree with you. And I think that their their level headedness through this whole thing um, has been has has informed me as a person and, and does continue to uh, split my brain and make sure that I understand the, the priorities outside of the business because they're also yeah. not theater people. My parents are my parents would have never seen a Broadway show in their lives if I wasn't in them. It's just not wow. on the, it's just not on their radar. It's just not How did that yeah. ha- how like honest to God, is just cause you went and saw Sweeney Todd or was yeah. it like wow so you seeing Sweeney Todd, which is, I mean, if you're not into musical theater, what a great way in. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. Those last like three minutes is just like such a holy shit yeah, moment. I, just, I didn't know musicals could do that. In my mind, I, I, I thought because uh, in sixth grade, I had a teacher who taught us all the T.S. Eliot poems. And then we listened to Cats and went and saw Cats. Right. So so that's what I thought Broadway was. I thought Broadway yeah. was like, no business, like show business and Cats. Yeah, that's kind of it. And so when I saw Sweeney Todd, I just wasn't aware that it could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those I are think the, the, shows- the whole like mantra for Sweeney Todd is Sweeney Todd. Thank God we're not cats. I think that's yes, what. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what but they said. Like, a slogan. And those tend to be the shows, not not necessarily in the darkness, but the shows that uh, that I leave going. I didn't know musicals could do that. Tend to be the ones that still kick my ass the most yeah well i mean like you are a part of those musicals uh i mean i saw you we were about a year ago now we were in the bahamas last year you and i that's right i was presenting a a few snippets from the karate Uh, kid which is you know talk about like i could not wait to come and find you first of all to talk about it and be the dude who came who wrote the movie who was in his t-shirt like he could not be more excited to be there. Yes. I had a lovely lunch with him and I just a hero. I love that. Robert Robert Kamen, who uh, not only wrote the Karate Kid franchise, he wrote the Taken franchise. He wrote The Fifth Element, which is one of my favorite movies of all time ever. Truly. I'm trying to convince him that it should be a musical. Uh, uh, but I was going to say, I witnessed your performance. Uh, you came down. I mean, then what a quick trip for you. You like shot down and then shot right back up to literally. New York. Yeah. Uh, and I, you did like just a tiny bit of the, like how you kind of become the TV guy. I don't know how to explain. I'm not, I'm doing a horrible job explaining this. No, it's the, it's, it's basically the musicals take on the scene from the film that everyone remembers where Robin Williams plays with the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah. It's basically the moment when the janitor, Robin Williams as a janitor of the TV station scraping by is left on the set alone of this boring children's television show. And the, the, um, the president of the network sees him messing around with stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, and our version of that was this really cool idea that Wayne and Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell had of, of, uh, to make it take place now is the idea of a loop machine and what, what a guy like that could do with a loop machine. And, uh, in the reading, they sent me home with a loop machine <clears throat> and said, like, we think we might just play something recorded for the reading but if you want to mess around with this, here's how it works. Yeah. And it basically was like a video game to me. 
Uh-huh. I, I looked down at this thing and I was like, oh, I get this. And <clears throat> in a night, I sort of came up with a rough chorus of like a fun thing that I could mess with. And I came in the next day and they said, well, that's too fun to not do that. So take the, the presentation is in 36 hours keep this with you at yeah. all times and yes. let's figure out what it is. And we came up with a really fun thing that's that's surprising. And it's also dangerous because the audience knows hopefully that it's happening in real time and that I could screw this loop machine up. Think, yes. As, and, uh, I kept and also, thinking that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it also allows me to improvise a bit each night so it's never exactly the same. That's uh, this is this is so where I was headed with that moment and seeing that I was standing next to uh, Chris Hertzberger, who is vice president at uh, Universal the- the- Theatrical Group. Great guy and great guy. We love we love Chris. Yeah. And I said, "That's his Tony. There it is. That's oh, that's man. honest to God." And you must feel that though, right? I mean, holy shit! It's you are literally just playing on stage. It, it's it, of course it's scripted. It's in there, but you had such a big part in developing that moment and got to play with the actual apparatus, yeah. which makes it sound like a sex toy, but it's not. Hey, listen, you know, <laughs> it could audience, be. Who if knows? The audience, if the audience has full release, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> Uh, I just, I was bewildered by that performance. I thought it was so good. I'm so Um, glad I missed it. I can't wait to get back to doing it. A hundred percent. Oh my God. The world is thirsty for it truly. And I want to talk to you about this in terms of Mrs. Doubtfire, if you don't mind hopping around a little bit. No, please. Um, you went from Beetlejuice into Mrs. Doubtfire, which seems like a no duh kind of like, why wouldn't that be the immediate next thing? But you left Beetlejuice where I thought it was at this gigantic height of Literally. TikTok yeah. fandom of all things. It was exploding, things. yeah. Like I've never seen anything – I don't think anybody had seen anything like that on Broadway get that kind of attention on realms of the internet that had nothing to do with New York City. You know what I yeah. mean? It was yeah. wild. What was it like to leave Beetlejuice yeah. right then? It was so heartbreaking because anyone who's built a show from the, you know, from the workshop phase mm-hmm. – you're so lucky when one of the million readings you do gets a next step. Yeah. And and when that next step is an actual out of town run, which every out of town run that's ever happened has been called pre-Broadway, but a real one with investors and a theater, not just yeah. a like, let's try it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yes. And, and, and all of a sudden you go like, oh my gosh, I think the one I'm in today might actually, and you think that on the ones that don't too, but maybe- right. But when they do, it's so exciting. And Beetlejuice started to take on this amazing life. And um, simultaneous to that, Kevin McCollum, the extraordinary producer who I've worked with on Avenue Q and worked with on Something Rotten. Yeah, big time. He's he's humongous. He's one of the biggest producers out there, yes. Yeah, one of the the best. And he he let me know that he had given – that he had acquired the rights to adapt Mrs. Doubtfire into a musical. This is years before Beetlejuice. Yes. And and I said to him, basically, this was uh, before Something Rotten even. I said, hey, listen, if you ever just want to hear it out loud, like if you have a draft and you want to hear it out loud and you don't want to pay somebody to sit and read it so that you can see if it's if you're onto something, I would love to be that guy. And yes. he very sweetly and kindly nodded and played along. And there was a draft – years before Beetlejuice that we did that was terrible and we moved on and uh, and it went away and we thought, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Then I'm doing something rotten and he tells me, hey, I've given Doubtfire to Wayne and Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell, the guys who wrote something rotten, and they're doing a draft now. 
Um, and I said, well, that's awesome. Let me know when it's done. So I'm doing Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is starting to explode, and Kevin calls me and says, hey, we have a first draft of Doubtfire from the guys. Do you, we're going to do two presentations of it at the Westside Theater uh, on 40, whatever it is, 43rd Street. Yep. And uh, will you come and do this? I know what you'll have to do double duty at Beetlejuice, but I, it would be really fun to do. So, of course, I jumped. I didn't want to let that opportunity go past, right? Of course, Yes. So we do this presentation for 200 people in the first presentation. We take a lunch break and we do it for 200 people on the second presentation. Yes. And 20 minutes after that presentation, Kevin McCullum calls me and says, we have the money. We have an out of town at the Fifth Avenue and we just got an offer for a Broadway theater to come in after the Fifth Avenue. You need to put in your notice at Beetlejuice. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I just want to point out real quick, and I hope for all, all the young artists listening, that all, you say like I didn't want to miss the opportunity. But the yeah, truth right. is you gave him the opportunity by saying if you ever need somebody to just read it out loud, he uh, held on to that. Yeah. And here, and look and look how this and, fucking snowballed. And you know what's so crazy is is when Kevin then told me later, he said, "You know what? You're you know what? You're so lucky that first draft sucked because if it was ready, you would have been too young for me to buy you have a fifteen year old." All right, there it is. So it so it needed to take the time it took for me to be the guy. So the convergence of miracles that happen in a moment like that, yeah. you know, you can only take so much credit for. It. And thank God and, you aged. I yeah, mean, exactly. Thank God my hair kept falling out. Thank God my hair kept falling out. Uh, totally. Uh, listen, I'm so grateful. But um, I, I went to Beetlejuice and, and uh, I was very lucky in that I went to them and said, the last thing I want to do is I am having the time of my life. The last thing I want to do is leave. And uh, the producers there and Alex Timbers were like, well, why do you have to? And I said, they, they're asking me to play Mrs. Doubtfire, Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire. And they all said, of course. You got to go. You, you got to go. You, you got to go. Um, and I, I love They knew it too. It. They knew it just like I knew it. That's the Tony. I swear to God, <laughs> that's the Tony. That's the Tony. That's the Tony. I'll say it a thousand times. Uh, that's the pandemic. <laughs> did you guys officially open? I forget. No, we did no. three previews. Oh my God. Three previews. Just yeah. how heartbreaking. We had, we had done this gigantic uh out of town at Fifth Avenue that had me so emotional. The emotional response of the audiences in Seattle was, was I mean, ripping my heart out and serving it back to me daily. Yeah. And uh, it was just so thrilling. And then we got to New York and they were doing really great rewrites based on the feedback we were getting from the audiences in Seattle. Um, so mo we could feel the momentum, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that Thursday, March 12th, we're coming up on a year. Yep. Um, me and Jen Gambatis are sitting on a couch and on the set and Jerry Zax is in the middle of giving us a note on one of our act two songs. I'll never forget it. And, uh, Kevin McCollum came in, sat us all down and said, leave everything where it is and go home. And, wow. uh, it was and, as quick as that. I mean, really it was like, yeah, I mean the, the only inkling we had was that the night before they had told us to stop stage dooring because mm -hmm. of this pandemic thing. And right. all of us went like, Oh wow! I guess this is serious, but I mean, I holy shit! I mean, like, how how do you think that was just a year ago? I we know. were so clueless, and then yeah. it all—it was so fast how it just obliterated oh. through the city. Yeah, I, I heard story. I hear stories about like 
uh, from our wardrobe supervisor about three months later, them making staggered appointments to go in and hang up the costumes we were asked to get out of and leave on the back of chairs. Oh my God. Three months earlier that, that all of these like Broadway time capsules that were just sitting there frozen wow. on that Thursday, you know, it's a weird, it's a spooky feeling. Well, I, while we're talking about it, I want to transition eventually into what I call Drew's array of really dumb questions. This segment doesn't have a title yet. Uh, I, that's great. We love dumb questions. But <laughs> I do. I just want to talk about this a little bit because there's a lot of people that look up to you. And every time, like I said earlier on, every time I hear you talk about theater, I get like emotional. There is oh. such – there is a real deep – uh, connection between you and this art and this craft and this mm. business and not just theater itself, but on Broadway, is there anything that you've been telling people that lets them know you think it's going to be okay? What are, what are your general feelings about Broadway coming back? And you know, yeah. how do you feel about it all? I, it, theater, um, it's a magnet. It's, it's literally like, uh, uh, it pulls people in because the act of storytelling, a person telling a story and that story having an impact on you mm-hmm. and, and holding a mirror up to you and changing your heart and mind and, and or entertaining you or wrecking you, whatever it does, that's ultimately why I think we're alive is, is to be – to, to go through the emotional journey of what it is to be human and nothing does that better in my mind than live storytelling. And yes. I think the the moment people don't feel like their lives are at risk, they will come running yeah. um, because I think – you know, it's theater is so looked at as a luxury or, or or a term I hate even more extracurricular activity. Yeah. Um. And I think this pandemic more than ever is making people realize how much they need it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and you look at the success of the things that have been able to be filmed, and the fact that they are having such profound success uh, without the live aspect. Yeah. Right. Which is the magic, which is the special sauce, which 100%. is the thing, that, which is the thing that makes your hair, the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It's the reason why you don't laugh at stand up comedy at home, but you do it at, at, at a club. A hundred percent. It's the magic trick. There's something about collective humanity that makes you feel on a grander scale. Yes. And, and that thing, whatever the hell that is, that superpower is the thing that's going to make everybody come running. And I, to be, I swear to God, I am so not worried about the art form. Me neither. Uh, I'm just worried about the people who um, will, may have to abandon it uh, to make ends meet in the interim. I hope that they're in a position to jump back afterward and don't have to give a full, you know, That too over. is my hope they're, because there's obviously there's room for everybody to come back. And, you know, that uh, that obviously is my hope as well. And yeah. I, I say the same thing. When Hamilton was on Disney Plus and everybody was watching it, I love that people got to see that show because they filmed it in a theater. But even yes. that filmed – uh, experience was missing something so big for me because they had to yeah. film it in such a, a way. There's uh, my brother, uh, he, who had never seen Hamilton. He watched it on Disney plus And he says, yeah, I thought it was really overhyped. And I go, let me tell you exactly why. When Lin-Manuel or whoever plays Alexander Hamilton comes out and says, Alexander Hamilton, there's a 45-minute applause break <laughs> right then. And you you feel like you're so a part of it. You are yeah. missing one of the greatest aspects 
of live theater by doing this. And I, and this is not to shit on any of the creators or any of the producers or anything. I say the same thing about Ratatouille and the Bridgerton musical and all that stuff that's going on. I think it's wonderful that people are so hungry for it and are lacking it so heavily right now. They continue to create, but it will never compare to the feeling of being in that room right when it fucking happens. Yes. It it truly won't, you know, I'm telling you. And, and it is, Everything that's being done right now to scratch the itch is wonderful, profoundly fantastic, great art. Yes. Yes. And, agreed. And, and not theater. Yes. And not theater. There it right. is. Thank right. you. I tweeted something like that the other day and I was called a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It made me laugh. I'm yeah. 34 for those paying attention at home. Uh let and me I'm tell 30, you, and I'm 38, which I don't know where that puts me somewhere. I don't know either. Who knows? I think no. everybody's a millennial unless they have gray hair. I, like, <laughs> here's a here's a really fun Hamilton story. Now that I've brought it up, this was not on the agenda. I just think it's a funny yeah, story. Please. So I went to Hamilton with my sister, not really knowing it was just off Broadway at at, at the public. Yeah. And uh, the greatest moment I've ever had in an audience is when they get to the song, assuming you've heard the music. Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, there's a song, he ain't never going to be president now. Oh, come on right? now. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting right next to Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. And it's all about how he has an affair and he's oh, never going to be president. The, the whole audience looks <laughs> over at Bill Clinton, who's surrounded by like 30 Secret Service guys. This is the kind of shit you're not going to get on TikTok, folks. Yep, yep. That's theater. That's theater. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hey it's me drew gasparini interrupting i'm so sorry to be interrupting but i feel as though it is my duty i usually come in about this point in the interview to say hey if you like our guests and you want to continue to support them then please go follow them on their social medias this is where you can find out what they have coming up and all of our guests are fantastic actors directors singers songwriters multi-pronged artistic individuals you love to see it rob is no different so go find him on instagram twitter and everywhere else you can find him and hey while you're using your thumbs to do things on your phone go subscribe to this goddamn podcast and if you've already done that Tell your friends. Back to more with Rob. All right, Rob, we've made it to the portion of the show that doesn't exist on every episode, but in this one it does. Come on. Thank you for the theme music. This game is called the Most Impossible Question Game. I'm going to ask a question, and it's going to give you a multiple choice answer, and it's going to feel like an impossible thing to answer, but you have to, have to 
Gun to your so, head, choose one. And the audience no. can't see this, but there's a gun to Rob's head right now. Yeah, somebody broke into my house. Yeah, no, that's my hired goon. I sent him to your place. Don't ask nice. me how I got your address. All right, yeah. so the most impossible question game, question one. If you had to choose one artist or musician to never have existed, who would it be out of these three? <laughs> the Beatles. Oh, David Bowie oh. or Prince. <sighs> that is now, so Just hard. know if you choose Prince, you're a racist. That's, that's- <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. that's why it's impossible. No. Um, no. Oh, gosh. I mean, that is so bad. Okay. Um, Prince. Uh, yeah, you can't touch Prince. And not because of race, but because no, no, of- No, I shouldn't have even said that to fuck no, no, with you. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No, you can't, no, you, you, you can't because of the extraordinary nature of that singular human. Um, so it True. comes, so it's between Bowie and the Beatles. And I, I, I I'm literally, I'm going to get tackled for saying this, especially by my wife. But I have to pick the Beatles because <gasps> of, because of Labyrinth. I don't know what I would do without Labyrinth. You don't even have to explain <laughs> it. Though you, you 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 were screaming Labyrinth the minute you talked about filming vampire movies in the woods. Uh, amazing! Wow, I, I'm not kidding. That is the most surprising answer. I would have picked David Bowie also for the Labyrinth. That scared yeah. the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> I wore that VHS out. I'm sure that you did. Uh, yeah. Okay, all right. Question number two, and then we're going to move on to other dumb questions. If you had to pick one Broadway show to never exist. That's so mean. I'm so sorry. Here we go. Would it be Company, Phantom of the Opera, or Les Mis? (sighs) Okay. I'm going to say uh, Phantom has to exist for the financial stability of our art form. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Broadway wouldn't be around without Right. Um, and, and Les Mis had a huge, I can, I'll follow this up with the story, but, um, Les Mis, uh, had to exist to fuel my passion. And mm-hmm. there are so many other Sondheims to hold up that kingdom that I'll right. go, I'll, I'll let company go. I really like how you knocked those dominoes <laughs> down you, until you, you found your way there. Thank that you. was great. I think I would have to get rid of Les Mis because, um, well, who cares? It's really long and really sad. <laughs> no, okay. That's why. Okay. So wait. Here, so here's my story. So yeah. um, my high school French teacher. Yes. Madame Monroe. We love this. Uh, yep. She, uh, uh, eighth grade, uh, eighth grade, it was eighth through 12th in my town. So eighth grade, I start taking French and Madame says uh, in French, the first thing that we will learn to do in French class is we will learn the entire score to Les Misérables in French. Oh my God. And the first thing we do is we learn the entire score of Les Mis in French. I still remember it. All la volonté du peuple et la santé du peuple rempli ton cœur d'avant rebelle à la fidèle. Still remember it. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and your prize for having learned it was to go see Les Mis in New York. Wow. So that spring comes, and it's some May, and um, and I asked my parents, and my parents wouldn't let me go. They wouldn't let me go because it was like a bus to New York City. Now I grew up in right. New Jersey, twenty minutes from Times Square, right. and it was like it, it was like, no, you are not going to New York City. You're a kid. Wow. Um, 
so I so I couldn't go. Yeah. So I so I'm at home, pissed off because I have like a fledgling passion for theater. Yep. And uh, and I'm home and I'm pissed. And the same night they went, the Colm Wilkinson Philip Quast 10th anniversary concert is on PBS. You got your fix. And I'm sitting there. I've never been angrier at my parents. I'm watching yeah. this going like, I could be seeing this <laughs> with my own eyes. Oh, you oh my God. Christmas. You ruined Christmas. In so um, many ways, that concert, I think, is better than the actual. Oh, <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. that they are. Every single human in that concert is a superhero. Yes. And you didn't need anything but those but that group of people acting Absolutely. their asses off. Oh my yes. God. I tell anyone like if, if you know, a new teens falling in love with musical theater, 10th yeah. anniversary, 10th anniversary concert. Cole yes. Wilkinson, it's, Cole it's, Wilkinson it's, will make you wonder how the hell human beings can do that. Honest to God. And as he ages too, he's still like kind oh. of had those tenor notes forever yeah. and ever and ever. He's unstoppable. Un- infuriating. The man yeah. is unstoppable. Well, how, what, a, what an exhausting fucking show to be. Oh in. my God. It's nine and a half it. hours no. long. It's no. so, it's just tenor hell. And it's just so <laughs> fucking I sad. I remember, I remember I was trying to convince my grandmother because my mom and my grandma like did plays in school. So they, they, they enjoy it. But again, they wouldn't go see it. So as I'm like falling in love with theater, I I tell my grandma, grandma, you have to see Les Mis. I'm yeah. going to bring you, I get my driver's license and I'm like, grandma, I'm buying your ticket and I'm bringing you to Les Mis. Yes. So I bring my grandma to see Les Mis. We're in the front row Mis, and she, he rips up the yellow piece of paper at the end of solilo- uh, the first uh, soliloquy. Another yep. story must begin. <laughs> that craziness. Yes. And my grandmother starts to sob. And I thought, we are 18 minutes in. And at the end of this, everyone's dead. I'm like, I'm going to kill my grandmother by making her sit through Les Mis. And she, I've, I, I've never seen her cry for so long. I am imagining that meme that I see go around all the time of SpongeBob when he's all the way dried out. Have you ever seen that? He looks, yeah. he looks <laughs> really just like depleted and sunken eyes. That's what I imagine your grandmother looked like. Looking like at the end of Les Mis. Yeah, she took more breaks from crying at my grandfather's funeral than yeah. she did during Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nonstop stream of tears. Exactly. Holy shit, I love it so much. Um, Rob McClure, just a couple more questions before uh, before I let you go and, and thank you so of kindly course, for your please. time. Please, it's fun. What is the most annoying thing to you? What is just the most absolutely fucking annoying thing to you, Rob McClure? The thing that immediately, it's a three-way tie, but the first thing that came to mind is the word whatever. I hate the word whatever, particularly as a entire response. Yeah, yeah. The the passive uh, dismissal of curiosity Yes. Oh, it's beautifully just, put. I just, I, 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 that gets under my skin in a way that annoys me. You can't see this. Down. His teeth are showing in a way. <laughs> he is angered, folks. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if it's like, you know, who are you voting for? Whatever. It could be like, uh, what do you want for dinner tonight? Whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Engage. Yes. Engage. I, I engage. I believe that that was. They said, President Trump, how do you want to handle this pandemic? And he said, whatever. 
exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. And the and the other two things yes. since uh, since we're talking about things that annoy me, it's a tie yes. between slow blinking and sibilant s's. So, oh. um. Uh, slow blinking is the people who like as they're talking to you are like uh, I would go to that restaurant but they have the best pasta ever. <laughs> there's something about you, you can't see me because you're listening to a podcast but the people who slow blink for emphasis drive me crazy oh my god yeah the exaggeration they're putting into the statement yeah. made their eyelids so heavy right then <laughs> Exactly. That drives me crazy. And if someone speaks with a sibilant S, now this is not a lisp, it's a different thing, but a sibilant S, which is just a little shushy, it's a little shushy, and it makes, I instantly think you're a liar. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? You're right. Me too. I would, I would assume the same thing. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like Lilith from Frasier or what, but there's something about speaking with a sibilant S that makes you, I think you have an, you're pretending to have authority. You don't. God damn it. That is my favorite lack of logic and a connecting thought of like, I don't like it because it makes me think (laughs) you're a liar. I know. I know. You you have to make that sound happen. You don't it's that's not like a speech impediment. Yeah. That's okay. That's why I think it's that's why I think it makes me think you're lying, because you know how to do a real S. It's not a it's not an impediment. You're just choosing to lie about your S. I love that so, so much. Well, now, uh, that, I, now that I'm sufficiently pissed off. Yeah, no, I, I like this. We're 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 nearing the end of the interview, so I want to make sure we get on a real down note. This is good. Uh I would have said Republicans just across the board. Oh, I think good. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, annoyed the, with the them. Next, the, the next song is what makes you sad. And yeah. then we'll, we'll wrap it up there. <laughs> what, what makes you sad? <laughs> let's, this is a fun game. I like to play. It's called let's talk about the Holocaust. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Last couple stupid little questions for you. Please. How do you feel about beanbag furniture as an adult? I'm talking to the guy with a bouncy castle in his room right now with him. How do you feel about it? There's, It's legitimately coming back in a way I've never seen before. Totally legitimate if you've got the space. Yes. And, com- and completely impractical if you don't. <laughs> so that was <laughs> the greatest mixed review of that thought. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's nowhere to put the beanbag chair if you don't want it there. A hundred percent. You're right. And it's not like this, oh, it looks so nice. They're all the same no. amoebic blob thing. It's going to be on the floor. Rob. Even, even if you move it out of the way, it's on the floor, taking up the same radius as it always I, does. I just bought one, and I'm not even kidding. Do you I have just, room for it? <laughs> I don't know yet. It was so impressive. Right. We'll see. Because right. we'll these see. motherfuckers are like nine feet circumference, you know? Well. It's like... A lot of disapproving head shakes are <laughs> happening right now. Um, this is the last question I want to ask you before I say goodnight to you and yes. uh, let you go be with your family. <laughs> I just want to know, Rob, with everything you've done, getting through this pandemic, coming out the other end of this pandemic uh, very soon, we hope. I want to know because, like I said earlier, especially now with the Beetlejuice TikTok nuttiness that's happened. Yeah. What do you say to young artists? What is something you say that's not necessarily a just shoot for the stars, kids, but like yeah. I think a lot of young artists, the more I teach master classes and the more I, I coach some of these kids really trying to get in the business, they're lacking something. They're missing. They feel like they're missing this thing that you have or that I have. And maybe they are. But what is the t- 
tactic here. I, I th- what I've heard from you yeah. tonight is a lot of go for opportunities that present themselves, present yourself as an opportunity for others. But what would you say to those uh, younger kids? I would say that if the joy in it comes from the acquisition of the job or the opportunity and not the doing of the thing, you will never be happy. Wow. Because the uh, the so much of what's being taught right now, especially in, you know, theater camps and theater conservatories and theater programs is how to book it. Yeah. How to book it, how to network, how to, you know, the biz of the biz. And first learn to be madly deeply in love with doing it. Yes. Because if because if you do, then you enjoy preparing for an audition as much as you do getting it. You enjoy the chase, you enjoy doing it whether it's in the basement of a church or on Broadway because opening night of anything goes at New Milford High School. I was just as excited as I was for opening night of Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway and that is not a joke. My man. I, and there was just as much at stake for me. Yeah. A, a bunch of people are here and I don't want to mess up. Yep. It's the sa- same exact thing. Oh my and God. Yeah. All of these teenagers who think that, you know, my dream is to be on Broadway. My, my dream, and it still is, is to pay my bills playing pretend. Holy shit. Can you imagine if I could spend my whole life paying my bills pretending to be other people? Yeah. I mean, I don't even do anything. I just pretend to do stuff. Right. <laughs> I would disagree with you there by quite a bit. But, but you know what I mean? Like I, it's, it is, it's all a magic trick. Yes. And if, and to the roofers of the world and the sewer, you know, the sewer, the people who clean the sewers and the toll booth collectors and the police officers and the, all of these people who have like insanely difficult jobs, doctors, lawyers, all these people, it, there has to be a shitty side to what we do or else it's unfair to the rest of the world that we get to play pretend. So the valleys, the, the, the chase, the grind, the whatever you want to call it, is the part that earns you the moment when you go, holy shit, I'm for the next three months at Cleveland Playhouse. Yeah. I'm paying my bills doing a yes. play. Yes. Um, and if that's what makes you happy, not booking it. Then, uh, then you'll continue to be happy because the, you know, I can't tell you how many people like I, I've, I've been on tours and I'll get on a tour. I'm super excited. I'm going to travel the country telling a, you know, telling a story. And you have these like 22 year old kids who just graduated school and three months into a two year tour, they're talking about all the self tapes they're doing for something to leave. Yeah. And I go like, wait, you're, and they're bored as hell. And what they're doing in the ensemble is like uh, they're they're clearly making stuff up because they're bored. Yeah, and you go like, wait, isn't isn't this everything you ever wanted? Right. Like what? What? Oh, well, you've been taught that the joy lies in the call from Telsey, and yeah. that's not where the joy lies. <laughs> even worse, sometimes it's not even the call; it's that they get to say on Instagram that I just got yes. it, and then they get yes. showered with the congratulations and showered. Yes. With the likes and from the mouth of the legend himself kids i mean honest to god you couldn't have said it more succinctly and and beautifully than that it's fall in love with the work and do the work yeah and yeah. and, and not, not to be like a total cheese ball but when i was doing those stupid fucking vampire movies in the woods no one was watching right 
literally no one. I wasn't recording it. I, yeah. I thank God sometimes that YouTube didn't exist when I was a kid because there'd be a lot of embarrassing crap right. that I made on the internet. <laughs> and and no one was watching it, but I was so happy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just pretend, man. Pretend, be happy, strive for happiness, and do the work, kids. That's it. Uh, Rob, you this I've loved talking with you. This was I, a, a, a whole ton of fun. And I really universe, hope now the universe needs us to needs to put us <clears throat> together to work on something because I I'm a huge That's, fan of yours. That is my hope as well. Whether it's a, a concert or something else bigger down the line, I would flip I'm out in. for that, my friend. Uh, and if nothing else, let's get a martini and talk in real life when when the world opens back up. I can't wait. All right. Thank you so much, Rob McClure. Didn't I tell you this be a great episode? I told you it'd be a great episode. Why don't you ever believe me when I say it's going to be a great episode? Here I am delivering the goods, a perfect episode, a divine episode, and I'm glad you listened to it. Thanks a lot for listening. Now we're talking as a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me, the podcast, and the network at bpn.fm slash now we're talking. Find out more about me, Drew Gasparini, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. That's Drew Gasparini. Sound it out, kids. Special thanks to our guest, Rob McClure. What a badass. I love the guy. And all of you sexy buttheads for listening. Thanks so much. Hey, make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcast. And keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Until next time. Bam, 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 bam. Theme music. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.